Well, just wanted to uh, wish you all a happy new year. It's fun to be together just in the last couple days of the year. Hopefully you had a, a good Christmas break. Do you all feel refreshed and uh, good? Yes, maybe. Hopefully, hopefully. Anybody watch any Christmas movies while you're on break? Anybody enjoy that? I was leaving one of the days that uh, we had a little break and Adrian had a pause where the kids were going to be out of the house. I was coming in to do some work here, and when I was leaving uh, about 8 o'clock in the morning or whatever, she was already like cuddled up on the couch in a big blanket watching, already started her first Hallmark movie. And uh, when, I, when I was leaving, I was like, she, she enjoys these. And uh, when I was leaving, I was like, all right, well, sweet, anything else planned for the day? She's like, no, not really. I came back at like 3 or 4 in the afternoon. Guess where Adrian was at? curled up on the couch watching. This is accurate. We can argue later. Uh, and, and so, and, and so, and so I, I joined her in watching the last one out of like nine, I think she watched that day. And truth be to, uh, tr- truth is, truth is, I kind of liked it. I'm going to be real with you. I kind of, because I feel like it's a little bit of a flashback to the way that films used to be, where you could guarantee what? There's going to be a happy ending, right? I've noticed the trend with movies nowadays. They always want to be more realistic, and you're left to the very end, and you're not quite sure if it's going to be a happy ending. I like when the hero saves the day. I like when he marries the princess. I like when he rides off into the sunset. That's why the Avengers movie was lame. Anybody else annoyed with this? I wasn't ready to say goodbye to Spider-Man. I wasn't ready to say goodbye to the Black Panther, nor Doctor Strange, all of this. And people keep trying to come for me saying, it's not the end of the story. I want the happy ending. Well, here is the problem with that. And you're like, what are you talking about, Pastor Scott? Here's the problem, is the Christmas story. And you might wonder, why in the world? We're already past Christmas. Why are we still in the Christmas story? Is because unfortunately, when real life happens, you don't always get the happy ending, right? You don't always get the Hallmark movie. You don't always get the the picturesque manger scene. It didn't take long until literally the whole manger pretty scene was completely disrupted or was completely disrupted. It didn't stay nice like a Hallmark picture. It literally was breaking where light was breaking into darkness. And so this week, we're going into the week after Christmas for a little bit of dose of reality, if you will. I'm excited to spend some time in God's word as we get the full picture of how things played out. Let me pray before we do this. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for this chance to be together and to explore your word and to see the lengths that you went to break in to be amongst us literally breaking through darkness. We ask that you'd teach us through this text this morning, that you'd be great, I'd be small, and for all this, that we'd be shaped to be a little bit more like you on the other side. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 2, we started reading a little bit of that earlier with the wise men. We've uh, In this Christmas journey series, we've touched on these different biblical characters and looking at their stories. Well, this morning, we're going to continue in the text, and we're looking a little bit more into how Jesus broke from uh, light into darkness. If you want to glance down with me at your Bibles, you can grab one in a chair in front of you if you don't have one. If you don't own one, feel free to take that with you. Chapter 2, verse 12, Jesus breaks into our mess. 
It says, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Who's that talking about? The wise men. Yes. Okay, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. We'll stop there for a little explanation. I'm wondering in this room if there's anybody that takes on their regular routine drive the 101 to the 405. Anybody have that drive that you take, the 101 to the 405 as part of your routine? Anyone ever been on the 101 and been completely tricked in thinking just maybe this is the day that there isn't traffic. Anybody start to drive and you're like looking around, you're looking at the traffic coming on, you're looking at the traffic all around, you're like, this is going kind of smooth. You start to go into Calabasas and you're like, wait a second, it's still open. Anybody do this before? And you start in your mind, you start thinking to yourself, maybe, just maybe, this is the one time in recorded history that there's not traffic on the 101. Anyone ever been fooled by this before? I have. I'm a sucker for it. I don't even have that commute, but even going to the airport. And then all of a sudden, what, what happens? Guaranteed. You're driving on the 101. Then, bam, all of a sudden you get past Calabasas and it just stops all the way until the 405. And you're like, wait a second, what happened? This could have been the perfect day. And I have to think, you have to wonder if this isn't where Mary and Joseph are at in this story. They've had all of a sudden they've had the appearance of all of these shepherds showing up and celebrating and partying with them, celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. Then we don't know exactly the time in between. Then they have the the wise men show up with gifts and, and celebration. They followed a star to get there. There had to be a little peace, I would suggest, in the mind of Mary and Joseph like, hey, maybe the bad days are behind us. Maybe that whole journey from Nazareth, maybe that was behind, maybe all the the difficulties. Now we're going to just enjoy the the privilege of raising the king of kings. And literally there's that moment of the story where the angel shows up, the bam, it's not going to go like we expected moment. And that's exactly what we just read here where all of a sudden the, 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 the manger scene is disrupted with the news. And what is the news? First off, Jesus is, uh, is at risk, where at first they're warning the, the wise men, take a different path out of here. Then the warning comes to Mary and Joseph, you got to pack up and you need to head to Egypt. All of this based on one particular char- character, the man's name is Herod. It's funny, at our uh, Christmas gathering on Christmas Day, we had a couple families at our, at our house, and uh, John, we, we, did, we had a part of, the, uh, of the, the afternoon where we actually read the Christmas story and then dressed up adults, kids, everybody in the different Christmas characters. It was fun. Well, uh, John Aite got to play uh, King Herod. I don't think he knew that that wasn't necessarily a compliment, but he, he wore the, 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 the headdress thing, a uh, towel actually, uh, with pride. But a little bit about Herod and why this was such a big deal. I don't know if you've uh, done much study of this, but Herod was a total lunatic. 
You remember earlier in our story when we talked about the wise men, the wise men, before they came to find Jesus, who did they spend some time with? Herod. Herod explained to him, oh, when you actually find this baby, why don't you come back and tell me so that what? I can go worship him too. I can join. That wasn't his intention. He wasn't wanting to worship him. Instead, we're about to see, he's wanting to take out any potential threat to his kingdom. You see, we learn about a little bit about Herod through uh, the, the Jewish scholar uh, Josephus tells us all about his reign. He was known for being literally insane, chronically insecure and jealous. He was actually not a Jewish man. He was a uh, 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 placed into that uh, position. He was an Edenite where Caesar Augustus proclaimed him as king of the Jews. And so he got kind of lifted and elevated into that position. But then his, his entire rule was known to be, he was known to be disliked, uh, marked with tons of violence. So reading a few facts about his life, you may have not heard this before, but out of his insecurity, he found that first off, his wife was up to something no good. His brother-in-law was up to something no good. Had them both executed under the claims of potentially being unfaithful, which it later was deemed that they weren't. So he's killed his wife and uh, killed his brother-in-law. Uh, maybe uh, I'm not going to go there about maybe some of our Christmas feelings. Uh, but anyway, uh, but here kill, killed mother-in-law, uh, our brother-in-law, uh, killed his wife, also killed his two own sons. Aristobulus and Alexander because of the potential of them being a threat to his throne. Killed his own kids. Literally, a week before he died himself, killed a third one of his sons because he didn't trust him as well. In his final and probably one of his more cruel acts, he knew that he was hated in his kingdom, or if you will. He knew that no one was going to mourn his death. He had a terrible disease. And so what he had done just the week before he died is he had all of the kind of well-known, uh, 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 celebrated or distinguished citizens in Jerusalem all arrested so that on his death, the day that he died, he ordered that they would all be killed so that there would be mourning in Jerusalem because he knew that there wouldn't be mourning for his own death. How dark, right? So important to understand what's at stake here. When this angel is showing up and telling Joseph, hey, get out of Dodge or Bethlehem, like this is like, this is, this is serious. There's a lot at stake if this man happens to find the newborn king. So he tells them to head out of Bethlehem and to take a trip to where? What is, where does it say to go? Egypt, Egypt. Egypt's about, somebody said that they like maps. So here we are. Here's a map. It's about a 75 mile trip from the uh, Bethlehem to the kind of the perimeter or edge of, Jeru uh, of Egypt. And then about another hundred miles to any kind of a known city. So about 175 mile trip. It's kind of cool to look at this map because guess what? My wife and I are going to be there in Bethlehem, Jerusalem next week. So pretty excited about that. Uh, so anyway, the 75-mile trip uh, warns him, get out, of, get out of here, head to Egypt. Egypt was known for being kind of a, a nice neighbor in that day and time and kind of a, a high population of Jewish folks that were fleeing for whatever reason were there. So God knows what he's doing, was directing them to head to Egypt to be protected. And I love the fact that this in itself, this geographic detour, was just another fulfillment 
of prophecy out of the Old Testament. Did you know that there's over a hundred different prophecies about Jesus himself found in the Old Testament? One of these being that he would be, you see it there in the text, out of Egypt, I called my son. Think about how confusing it was for people that are trying to piece this together. They're like, oh wait, he's supposed to be from Bethlehem, but he's going to come out of Egypt. But wait, he's going to be a Nazarene. How in the world does all this piece together, but God in his perfect providence did all of it. If there's anything that validates the authenticity of this book and the divine uh, nature of it, prophecy is one of those specific things. When you say something's going to happen and it does exactly the way you said, that's pretty impressive. Here the, continu- the story continues, verse 16. After he's broken into uh, the mess of a, of a political system, it says that he breaks now into a degree of heartache. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Pretty miserable part of the story, right? This is the less popular part of the, the scenic uh, overview of the, uh, the, the Christmas account. And if you think about it, this is pretty dark when you think that Herod at this point of his life was about 70 years old where, when this took place. He's at the very end of his reign and rule, but yet when someone, when the only thing they're living for is to build and sustain their old kingdom, their own kingdom. They'll go to whatever measures needed to protect it. And that's what's actually happening here. He's thinking to himself, man, I don't care what I have to do as long as I can take and hold on to this as long as possible. I was talking to uh, Jai Naite about his kind of upbringing. He's telling me, he's like, man, I was telling him I was teaching on this. He's like, man, this, it wasn't just uh, back then that you had these kind of political leaders. He's like, man, growing up in Ghana, it, it was like a, a complete circus. He's like, one person would come into, into power, then he'd be overthrown by a son, a relative, and this person would get shot, and then he killed this person, and this person took over. We never knew who was leading our country. So in this instance, the extreme measures that he goes to to protect his kingdom, what does it say that he does? Has every single kid under the age of two executed? How miserable unbelievable. Can you imagine that in the city of Bethlehem? Now, some might try to take the edge off this, be like, well, Bethlehem was probably pretty small, so not, this didn't represent necessarily a ton of children, but I don't know that that makes it any easier. Small town, like a close-knit group. Can you imagine the, the, the sorrow of the mothers? Man, we're in a season with tons of little babies around the church. Can you imagine just a miserable, miserable thing that was done in an attempt to take the Messiah's life, the one that was coming to heal the brokenhearted, this king is actually causing more and more broken hearts as he goes. Pretty painful. Think about this in one uh, interesting thing in that little section there, as much as it's miserable, is another prophecy that was fulfilled. Verse 18 says, or verse 17, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled 
You think about this, that Herod was definitely not trying to fulfill prophecy, but it speaks of, uh, in that context, it speaks of Rachel who would mourn the loss of children. This was found in Jeremiah 31, 15, and she was known kind of as the mother of Israel, if you will, and you find it fascinating that still to this day, you can visit her, her actual tomb, which is found in a city called, or a town called Ramah, which literally overlooks and faces Bethlehem. Every single detail of what God promised would happen fulfilled to the T. Continue in verse 19, Jesus also breaks into our waiting. It says, After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. Now, three key words there that are somewhat important. After Herod died. For some of us, after the last section, you're like, oh, well, that's actually some good news. You see, the truth is death rate is still right about 100%. That's how, that's how it works in this world, is that anybody that has all of these ideas of clinging and holding on to their kingdoms, guess what? It slips through everyone's fingers, even Herod. Even Herod, I, I remember, do you guys remember the uh, philosopher, his name is Nietzsche? He was famous for saying what? God is dead. I love this t-shirt. Maybe you've seen that. God is dead. Uh, Nietzsche is dead. Like uh, God wrote the last uh, statement on that one. And in the, kind of in the same idea, do you get that? You get that? Uh, okay. Uh, the, the, kind of the same idea is true here. This man that thought he would somehow be elevated to the place where he could resist what God is doing comes to the cruel realization that you're not going to oppose God and it go well thought it uh, fascinating, Josephus, that same Jewish historian I was mentioning earlier, he wrote of the death of Herod. This is how he says that Herod died. He says he died, to quote, he says, he died of this, ulcerated entrails, fun, putrefied and maggot-filled organs, constant convulsions, foul breath, and neither physicians nor warm baths led to recovery. Huh. So baths don't fix everything. So, so th th this particular man had the outcome he so deserved, probably a pretty miserable death. And you think about throughout history, how many times that's exactly the same thing that's written. I was reading this this week, Adolf Hitler went into his bunker and what? Shot himself as his nation crumbled around him. Saddam Hussein was found hiding in a hole and was eventually executed by his people. Gaddafi was hunted down by his own people, beaten and shot to death. You see, the outcome is the same for everyone trying to build their own kingdoms. Here, God has the final word. And we love that about our God is that he's writing history one way or the other. He's writing his story. We can either be a, a, a part of it, come aside with it, or try to oppose it. It doesn't go well trying to oppose it. We see here in the text. See, you've noticed maybe in your own life how God answers prayers. What are the three ways that he responds to our requests? Yes, no, and what's the third one? Wait. Anybody else have the hardest time with that wait piece? I was thinking about that for, for yes, I saw a hand raised there. That's, uh, we're getting uh, Pentecostal here. But uh, here, here's the, the, the idea of, of the waiting piece. Man, that's what Joseph has been doing. 
Look at the last thing that was said to Joseph. Joseph was told, get up, take your wife to Egypt. He didn't have no, no details about how long he's going to stay there, right? You imagine you're like, I'm going to this foreign land. I'm living as, a, as an exile. I'm thrown into this scenario. I don't have a job. He's most likely living maybe off the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We don't know exactly. But either way, he's stuck in this long period of waiting. We see, though, that God meets us in our place of waiting. Some of us this Christmas, this is the exact word that you needed to hear. There's something that you've been just like, oh man, I've been stuck just waiting to see how God's going to respond to this. What's he going to do? How's he going to make this mess better? I love that about our God is he meets us in our waiting and he can take something that you're like, this seems impossible and he can make something new out of it. When I first started uh, on staff here at the church, one of the things I really felt a, a burden for was like, man, I would really love to see this little church not just be a church that's about itself, but to be a church that actually plants and establishes other churches. And so you might not know this, but behind the scenes, I kind of always kind of keep an eye out in the area. Where would be a good spot that we could plant a church? Where, where could we do that? And it just seemed like every kind of uh, rock that I'd turn over just seemed like it was just dead end after dead end. But it was so fascinating. Maybe you found this in your own life. As you look back at God's faithfulness, you start to see like, oh, wait a second. God had a plan with this. He knew exactly what he was doing through our little church. What did we do this past year? What are we in the process of doing? We're building a church in Ecuador. How, how cool is that? Because of your faithful giving, I was, th this is an update in December 2018. This literally is transpiring as we're here gathering. Dirt being dropped off, footings being put in for the building, concrete being moved, all of that to build and establish a church plant in Ecuador. How cool is that when you think about like, all right, God, what do you, when, when are you going to do the, this church planning through uh, our little church? Right now, he's doing it. I was reading just a little overview of what's happening. The, this little uh, gathering of people is already having 40 or 50 people that are gathering before buildings even built. In January, they're having a baptism service with another. They had one this summer as well. They're having another five people that have just recently committed their life to Christ be baptized for the first time. How awesome is that? And we have a God that although he loves to use the waiting thing as a tool to shape us, he on the other side of it wants to meet us in that place of waiting. Here he calls Joseph, finally giving him what? The green light to head back. And notice that the, specific, the directions that he gives him at first are very vague. You get to just head back to Israel. Or Israel's a pretty broad uh, kind of definition. So he starts heading back to Israel. It's like, well, what, is, what do you specifically want me to do? He starts heading back specifically to the area. We're going to see here in verse 22, uh, back into uh, Judea. Verse 22. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in, in the place of, I'm sorry, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Pause there for a moment, and that'll be the end of our text for uh, this morning. But just a few details thinking about how this played itself out. Where is Joseph heading? 
Basically, Joseph is trying to head back when it says Judea. That's exactly where Bethlehem was at. He's trying to head back to Bethlehem. Kind of the idea of going back to where they were having their fresh new start, where they had the celebration. The, they already had met some uh, shepherds in the area. They knew some wise guys. I mean, like this was the ideal spot to kind of set up camp. So he starts heading back there. And what does God do? No, that's not where you're going. I'm taking you back to Nazareth. Here's the thing to understand about Nazareth. Where had Mary and Joseph come from originally? Nazareth. Where had they wanted to get out of? Nazareth. If you're thinking about where they're going to be not very popular because they had a child out of wedlock, where is it? Nazareth. That's exactly where God calls them to go. You see, we have a God that's not intent on being cruel to us, but we do have a God that's intent on being actively involved in not just the macro part of your life, but the micro details as well. I uh, so often will pick up my kids from school and ask them about their days and kind of trying to draw a little bit of, so how was your day? What do you think's the response? Fine. Good. It was okay. I'm like, man, I don't want the macro details. Give me some specifics in there. Any other parents have trouble with that, digging any kind of response out of your child? And I'm like, did anything make you laugh today? Uh, yeah, Joey picked his nose, whatever. Uh, did, 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 did anything, uh, was there anything that was difficult? I walked through all of these things trying to get to any level of conversation from my, anybody else deal with this or anybody further on, grandparents in the room? I, I, I don't know. Here, here's the, the thing that we have to understand is that we have a God that's very interested in not just being involved in the macro, but also in the micro, the little nuances of your day. He wants to be involved with your calendar planning here in January 2019. He wants to be involved in your establishing what your new goal, New Year's resolutions are. He wants to be involved with who you're spending time with, or your decisions about how to use resources. All of your decisions, he wants to be intertwined with. That's the God that literally left heaven to be homeless so that ultimately he could be at home in your life, in my life. He wants that level of involvement. He wants it all. That's why he broke through in this Christmas story. And I love the, that he chose to say, you know what, I'm not showing up. We, if, if you think about him just showing up in the manger, a lot of times we celebrate that and we're just like, wow, that was pretty awesome that the king of kings would be born in a stable. Anybody given that thought before? But think about this next part. Where has he moved back to be raised his entire childhood? In the town of Nazareth. Town of Nazareth. In fact, when it says that the prophet referred to him as, as being a Nazarene, Nazareth in the Old Testament didn't even exist. That's the fascinating thing here. Nazareth was a new, new on the scene. It was so tiny and obscure and unknown and unimpressive. That's where God's like, yeah, that's where we're going to raise Jesus. That's where, so, the, so there's nobody that could ever say, oh yeah, well, he was born and raised in privilege. He was born in a barn. Like he was literally born in a barn. He was raised in kind of the smallest of small towns because he wanted to ultimately relate with us in every facet 
to be intertwined with us, somebody that we could relate with. He went through it all perfectly to break into our details. So my question for us, just as we wrap up, is just asking what degree you're letting him in in this new year. What degree are you letting him into your mess? Are you letting him be involved and engaged in your situation? Are you letting him into your waiting, your period of waiting? Are you turning over whatever it is you're waiting on to him? What degree are you allowing him to be involved in the micro of your life? This is the story of the week after Christmas that we can't neglect. Let me pray as we wrap up. God, we thank you for your word and how you do choose to go through the most extreme measures to be with us, even being wanted and sought after to be killed, even as a baby, even willing to spend time as a refugee in Egypt, even willing to be raised in a town that was much less than impressive. We're so grateful for what you've done to enter in, to break through, to be with us this Christmas. I pray, God, that that would even compel and change and influence our worship going into the year ahead, that we'd submit not just little parts and the vague generals to you, but the specifics and micro parts of our details of our day to you, because that's what you want. You want all of us. That's why you broke through. We praise you for that reality. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. And I think that was probably Mary and Joseph's theme song, right? Your ways are higher than me. I trust you with all of it. I pray that that's our prayer and our song going into the year ahead, that it would be a year of trust with our God at the helm. A couple things just as you're leaving today, uh, if you are interested in being, having anything specific prayed for, we have a couple of volunteers here available in the front. Otherwise, have an amazing new year, but I do have one last request these Christmas decorations, some of them need to be taken down uh, to the storage area. If there's a few guys that could stick around for a few minutes and help out, we'd be really grateful. You can talk to me right after the service. Thanks so much. God bless.